Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. 575 podcasts is a lot of you and I talking, and we have reached this place. Thank you guys for See, being I with us. I never know where you're going to start. I know. It's this always is, like, this is part of the push fun. the record button, and we start. This is part of the fun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, it is a lot of podcasts. Of course, we do number 600, which, of course, will be coming up later this year. We will do another uh, live all questions, nothing to do. Well, it's just going to be madness, because we always do it at the 100 marks. It's just lots of madness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll That's see cool. our faces on video. But this one is a all questions podcast related to cars and you guys have come through for us. It's huge. Yeah, thank you guys for being the core, the backbone of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your questions are what make the podcast. So thank you for generating all this stuff. We're excited to get to as many as we can, but if not, we've got a nice reserve to get to future podcasts as well. Some news real quick. Season 8 is now officially available on Amazon Prime. It is still playing. This is the first mm-hmm. season it's that it, it's ever played on Motor yes. Trend Cable Channel while simultaneously being available on Amazon Prime. Because we yes. talk about it, mm-hmm. everybody says, guys, when is it going to mm-hmm. be on streaming? It is on streaming no now. No one is more surprised than this guy right here. <laughs> because for whatever reason, in seasons past, the approval process has taken a while. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I worked as fast as I could I was actually simultaneously mastering for Amazon while we were mastering for TV. And typically, I get all the TV stuff out. This is behind-the-scenes stuff. stuff. Then I work on the Amazon stuff. I was kind of going simultaneously. So the the last episode had shipped to Discovery, and it had been gone about 10 days. And it was still 10 days from airing. And I was like, I'm going to put out the stuff to Amazon because it will probably be a couple months until it's approved. Ten days later, Amazon approved it. They approved it essentially within the same 24-hour period of episode six of season eight droppings. It is now on Amazon. If you're international, it's also on Vimeo. You can watch season eight right now on cable, on Amazon, on Vimeo. They're all there. What did they hire more approval people just I have to no get idea. through? I have because no idea. Been waiting months. I'm thrilled. Before we'll just take it. How it's, about that? It's we'll just great, great stuff. Be quiet and yep. just take it, and we're good. And yeah, that, I'm I'm thrilled it is because. Now you can see at the same time it's actually on TV. Which and is with us cool. talking about it so yeah. much, we've been talking about it. We we do have to get the TV episode to premiere before we get it other places. That's part of how we've kind of built the whole thing. But I'm so excited Indeed. that it's out because Indeed. now we're going to have this coming Saturday is the uh, the SCCA training episode that we did. Oh, from that's last right. Season. That's replaying this Excellent. Saturday, and then all six new ones of season eight are playing again through March on the Motor Trend Cable Channel. Not on the Motor Trend app, but if you want streaming, it's Amazon Prime or Vimeo. We have some new merchandise on the Blipshift store. Yes, we do. They are embroidered ball caps. They're black with the white embroidery, and I think they're awesome. They look cool. We have ordered ours. Yes, we have. And there's still some left. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is go to everydaydriver.com, and when you click the store tab, you've got the option to go to the Amazon web store, mm-hmm. which is more jackets and Todd's novel and mm-hmm. posters and things like that. Mm-hmm. But Blipshift is, of course, all of our T-shirts and these new ball caps. So click the right tab there, go to Blipshift, and place your order. If uh, if they're very popular, we can always add more. We can always do it again. But because they are limited know. edition, it, it's a little different edition, than the typical sure. blip, blip shift thing. It's not just however many people order in a period of time. They actually have a limited number total that are available. So get them now. 
the next episode after this, just mm-hmm. as an FYI before we dive in, is yes. a No Dumb Questions episode. And those mm-hmm. are all the questions that kids, your kids, your significant other, mm-hmm. friends, why do you like cars so much? Mm-hmm. What, what is it with you and cars? Why do you talk about all this stuff? Why would not you just be quiet? Why don't you shut up about this all this stuff? <laughs> it's those kinds of questions that we welcome for the next episode mm-hmm. featuring... Todd's wife. Yes, she will be here. And, and, and Mrs. now, Deacon to the and now world. she's gotten nervous, which I'm laughing about because she's an actor. She's what? been in front of thousands of people, and now she's nervous. I'm like, come on, it's going to be. It's gonna There's be fine. nobody watching. Exactly, it's going to be great. She's going to be great at it. But this, but this is the thing. This is our kind of Valentine themed episode. We may do an all kids one later for like Father's Day, but this is intended for significant others that are going. I love you, but what is up with you in cars? <laughs> but what is and up? explain this to me. We're going to have those conversations. My wife is going to look through the questions and ask me questions, and we're going to talk about it. It's going to be very interesting. I, I'm kind of going, let's see how this goes. <laughs> You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is important. This applies to online shopping too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all of the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. I know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss a deal on that perfect car. Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. This is great. We're going to dive right in. Starting on Facebook, Daniel B. is asking, well, first, he says, once every automaker eventually transitions to an all-electric fleet with electric motors and batteries from one of a handful of suppliers around the world, Mm. what will be left to differentiate vehicles from each brand? Mm. Daniel feels like driving characteristics of engines and transmissions is a huge part of what makes a brand right now. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Once every brand gets their powertrains from one of a few suppliers... It seems like suspension tuning and exterior styling will be the only thing left to differentiate the different brands in the market, especially as automakers move to having companies like Apple handle the in-vehicle infotainment systems. Mm -hmm. So the question here is, do we think most of the current manufacturers will be able to survive once we all move to electric vehicles that are more or less made from the same components? I want to ease your mind, Mm -hmm. first of all, Daniel. I want to put your mind at ease. Electric cars are 1.4% of sales right now as of this podcast mm-hmm. recording. Mm-hmm. We know that because we asked our friends high up at Toyota, and they came back using their data of the market and said, this is about where we're at. And isn't it like, if memory serves from that conversation, it was like 4% worldwide in general. It was like 4%. 4%, that, that included all hybrids. Mm-hmm. But battery electric vehicles, BEVs, okay. specifically those, okay. I remember distinctly, they said it's about 1.4%. The news media would have us believe... <laughs> it's happening tomorrow! ...that it, it's all mm-hmm. going to be wiped away, and that just isn't the case right now. And car companies know that they need to develop electric vehicles and new electric platforms. Yeah, yeah. But they also have platforms to support and a legacy of internal combustion engines to support. Yes, yes. That's just good business. There's no mm-hmm. law there. That's just good business. Well, and most of them will have to keep parts available. Here, here's the thing. If, yes. if all of these fleets, uh, and, and you cannot see my big, we'll see air quotes that are happening as I say <laughs> this, but if if – all of these manufacturers really do only make electric cars from 2035 on. I know that many are announcing things like that. If, if, if that really happens. <laughs> yeah. Right. First off, that's 15 years away. Mm-hmm. 
there will be 15 years worth of new cars made and then new cars supported after 2035 yes. if they make that category, in, uh, that milestone anyway. So that's the first part. But there's lots of things to say. You keep going. I still believe there's going to be a good mix, Daniel, mm. of electric car availability and still internal combustion engines mm-hmm. and of a lot of hybrids in between. Mm-hmm. But I also feel strongly I'm, I'm a glass half full kind of a guy, all right? Okay. All right, all right. That manufacturers are going to realize, again, with my rant before, once we get all the MPVs, the people movers, out to the market, mm-hmm. Customers are going to want fun cars. Mm-hmm. Even small amounts of the market, there will be money to be made and a business case to be made for the fun cars. Mm-hmm. This is why everybody loves cars because they're fun. Mm-hmm. And the fun cars are fun. I, I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> it's but weird how that worked. Yeah. I don't think manufacturers will be well-liked enough to just build boring people movers. I think boxes. I think we'll end up with two or three total to his question. If that's what everybody goes into, there's going to be massive consolidation and it's going to be probably half the manufacturers we have now. Also if think it about, went that way. Yeah, very true. I like that point. Also think about the brands themselves. Mm-hmm, the brands mm-hmm. that have flourished and are specifically pointed at enthusiast driving. Mm-hmm. It isn't just the Germans. It's not just Porsche and BMW and some Mercedes and some cool Audis. What about Alfa Romeo as a brand? Mm, mm. What about Maserati as a brand? Mm-hmm. What about Fiat? They make fun stuff. Sure, sure, Abart, sure. Abarth, the you know, subsidiary essentially as the fun part of that. What about all the, how do you call it, the subcategories of a brand? The STs of the world, mm, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. SRT versions of things, the AMG versions of things. Those brands exist within car companies mm-hmm. Specifically pointed at what? Not people moving. <laughs> Not checking the box on the price and the features. And moving the, the fun we, meter. Yeah. You know, and we came in right at about $28,000 for the new car. No, it is specifically about fun. I would like to think, uh, excellent points. I would like to think that if everything had the same engine and drivetrain, there will still be variation in how they drive. And here are my reasons I think that. The Lotus lineup. Mm-hmm. The Elise and the Evora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of them had a Corolla engine, the Elise, and the Evora has a Camry engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those don't drive like Corollas and Camrys. It's a great point. Also, let's go tangentially off of Toyota again because they've essentially slept with everybody at this point. Subaru <laughs> has their engine in the '86. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That same two-liter flat four has been in other Subaru products. Nothing else in the Subaru lineup drives like the BRZ86. Nothing else. And there's the same exact engine. So it stands to reason that, that hopefully, that the same drivetrain can create multiple different feels of cars based on weight, weight distribution, and, yeah, suspension tuning, these kind of things. Let's hope so. Now, we're not going to have difference in sound. They're all going to whir the same. That's true. I think there will be an enthusiast and... Even non-enthusiasts sort of push back on that. It's mm-hmm. There will be plenty of people who don't like that. And to be honest, everybody who lives near a freeway or a road where there's trucks often, the trucking industry, yeah, bring that. That's great. Let's not have Jake brakes. <laughs> what about Fine. 100 electric vehicles all going by at the exact same wine? <laughs> is, is that, that's probably going to have its own issues. I'm just saying. Glass that's, that's, just shatters exactly. constantly. <laughs> no, I, I hear this you about the This is a great platform. condo, but you can only buy plastic. Exactly. It's just Lexan windows everywhere. 
I, I hear you about the platform thing. It's mm-hmm. just you're, you're envisioning putting a sports car body on the same platform and then a minivan body yeah. and then a sedan body and all that kind of stuff. Yes and no. I think the new Hummer is an indication of that'll be a different thing than even the pickup truck version. It'll drive yeah, differently maybe. and have Let's hope so. different characteristics. Let's hope so. I think we're optimists here. But if nothing else, Daniel, think of the next 15 years of – Still fun cars coming at us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what's that going to do to a legacy of cars on the road? I think the aftermarket industry will change dramatically, too, for the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob McCormick has a question that you and I are going to disagree on. He's okay. asking about paddle shifters. He's test-driven many cars with paddle shifters, and the ones on the steering wheel drive him nuts. He wants them on the column. You prefer the column. I prefer the wheel. The, the reason is because he keeps driving. When he lose, loses track of which paddle is which when he's coming out of a corner. Mm. So he's mm-hmm. thinking, why aren't there more column shifters? By the way, the Alpha Julia has them on the column. Big moose antler things on the column. Indeed, indeed. They, are, they do exist in some places. But he's, he's just trying to figure out what's going on here. Bob, here's my question for you. And, and I'm asking honestly, where are your hands? Where are your hands on the wheel? Sure, sure. And how do you do a turn? Are you a person that constantly shuffles? Do you do hand over hand? And I say this because I don't have a problem. I actually prefer them on the wheel. And the reason I prefer them on the wheel is because very rarely, and I'm saying one out of every like 10 corners, am I ever in a situation where my arms are so crossed, I don't still have a hand by one of the paddles I need. My hands are, are sitting there point. at nine and three, and man, 90, 95% of the driving I will ever do, my hands are directly behind the paddles I need attached to the wheel. So if I turn left, right, I love that I, they're just right at my fingertips. I hear you. That's a great point. If you have them on the column and you do a hand-over-hand event, then you they are, they're locked down. You can always find them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And an automotive journalist, the two of us and many others – They will split the room on which they prefer. But I actually think the issue here is where are your hands and what kind of corners are you doing? Because the other thing about it is generally if I'm driving a car with paddle shifters, let's go to track driving. I'm coming into a corner and I'm downshifting mostly in a straight line Mm -hmm. or maybe under a tiny, tiny bit of turning under trail braking. I'm not needing to shift in the dead middle of the corner. Very true. I'm downshifted before the corner. I'm doing the the majority of the corner not even needing a shift and then i'm shifting as i'm bringing the wheel back straight so i never really have a problem with where are the paddles everybody drives a little different there are those that will argue a shuffle technique is every bit as fast as leaving your hands and and locking over and all that kind of i'm not going to argue that with you but i'm asking you about hands Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think that might change the situation also when you need to shift changes it again i also like i'm restating it now bob but I realize that I'm always downshifting in a straight line, and I'm always upshifting when I'm almost back to straight. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. I will take this opportunity to clear something up, and that is the perception that I don't like paddle paddle mounts on the steering wheel. I actually do. I do like that, generally speaking. Car manufacturers have now figured out that the right paddle is upshift. The left one is downshift. Mm -hmm. That is kind of an industry standard. Thankfully, without any rules being written anywhere, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. But I do hear your point at low speed turns. Yeah, your your wheel is all the way over like parking. (laughs) I I do hear that. And you want to take a paddle and it would be handy. Generally speaking, most of the Italian manufacturers do the column mounted paddles. That's a good point. Yeah, really 
pretty much across the board. Mm-hmm. Everybody else does the steering wheel mounts, generally speaking. But I do like the ones on my Cayman. And when it comes to higher speed driving, yeah, you're not shifting mid-corner. You're mm-hmm. shifting on the exit to a corner is probably mm-hmm. the soonest you'll shift. But mid-corner, let's not all try to be F1 drivers. <laughs> Move your hands. Don't cross your arms in the X position. You don't need to. Move your hands and then let the, you know, let the wheel come back to, to center position and then find the paddle again. At low-speed corners, I hear your point. It is nice to have it there. Mm. But I will say, with the PDK transmission... You have the lever to be able to do that. So your mm. your wheels all the way over. You don't know which paddle is which. You reach down and you use the lever instead. Mm. Okay. okay. Many cars besides Porsche have this as well. But I'm just saying it is a preference. But I actually do kind of like both. I really do appreciate the column mounts. And it is a different driving experience when I'm driving a car with the column mounts. I do like that a lot. It's not that I, you know, just... That's the only way I want it because I do like what Porsche offers, and I do. Like all that kind of stuff, so. <laughs> Paul wants to make sure we all know that the way Porsche is like doing it, all. it, he's still I, fine with. Yes, I, I really do like it all. Speaking of Porsches, John K says regarding the show from a few weeks ago, is it uncool to have a Porsche 356 copy or any other type of copy? Mm. Not at all. I aspire to a copy of a 356. I can't afford a 356, but a copy, sure. I think there is no shame, and that, and you're introducing again the continuation cars debate for the owners who have the rare Bentleys and Aston Martins Mm -hmm. that are the rare super high-end examples. I'd love it if Ferrari just said, go nuts with Mm -hmm. the 62 Ferrari GTO. Mm -hmm. Would that devalue any of the the real ones? No. We all know that the real one is very special. It has racing provenance. But I think it allows all of us enthusiasts to appreciate the brand more. I would encourage it. The thing that we were both so enjoyed about those, if you will, kit cars which is a dirty word among enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. You, you have a kit car. You know, you built it in your garage. What are you doing? That, that's a little <laughs> yeah, bit of a dirty word. But, exactly. but I come back to this reality. If you're buying it because you're a collector, it's a dirty word. If you're buying sure. it to drive it, it's kind of perfect. Which are more people than the yes. collectors. Because what you have now is the thing that looks like. This is the experience we had on PCH. It looks like the no one could ever afford it. Why do you have that out here car? But you know, if I get a little bit of road rash, I don't care. Okay. I can just drive it. And now you're enjoying it. And you have, if you will, all of the benefits of driving that car and none of the potential downsides of either the buy-in cost or the, oh, my gosh, what just happened? Well, look, when we told people that those were replicas, they mm-hmm. saw those cars on the yeah. shoot. Yeah, yeah. And they said, wow, is that real? Like, no, it's a replica. That didn't phase them a bit. That mm. didn't change their expression. They weren't suddenly crestfallen. <laughs> they didn't go back to their car. No, oh, I won't take were... a photo anymore. <laughs> exactly. They <laughs> they were still interested in it, and they still went, wow, you just don't see that. It mm-hmm. didn't matter mm-hmm. even a little bit. It's a good point. A good and point. if you had the real one, it wouldn't have ratcheted up because nobody can compute $20 million or more for a car. Yeah. What does that yeah. feel like? I, I don't know. Does it make me more or less interested? Not really. So <laughs> when we told people that, nope, they're actually replicas, it didn't matter. Mm, interesting. The, the expressions yeah. didn't You're right. change. You're right. You're the mouths right. still hung open. So who cares? The number of people that stopped to look at that vintage Speedster, which looked like a 356, and actually had Porsche badging on it. But if you looked close, the Porsche badge on the front, the, the, the crest, mm-hmm. wasn't a Porsche crest. Exactly. It looked close. But honestly, as cool and as 
Please Notice Me Loud as that Daytona was, and I really liked it. The Porsche got more looks and more photos. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. the far more accessible car. Indeed, I was yeah. very surprised by that, for sure. Indeed. Sean H. is asking, why do car companies create completely different and usually significantly smaller engines for turbo cars versus the naturally aspirated cars? Why not just turbo the existing engine? Mm. I believe that it's to justify the existence of the naturally aspirated engine. And many times, it's a legacy engine that's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's a larger architecture. It's usually a V6. It's been in the lineup forever. They've invested all kinds of money in the tooling. Mm-hmm. And to justify still putting this in there, and many people do like that power out of a V6, we'll say, and they want the you know the lower-end torque or they just want that kind of feeling. It makes the car heavier, even though this tiny little four-cylinder will make more torque we'll say yeah but what that doing that smaller engine will allow them to do is be able to put that in more cars worldwide rather in in more markets essentially Mm -hmm. to be able to appeal to of course fuel efficiency but it allows them to put that you know around the world in in ford's doing this is a great example and they can put that engine in different Mm -hmm. cars around the world Mm -hmm. and in different markets as i said and Usually that that V6, whatever it is, you don't hear of an inline four being naturally aspirated and then they came along with a 1.5 turbo that just crushed the four and they still offer both. You don't hear of that. True. It's usually a six and it's been in the lineup for a long time. Or an eight or a 12 or whatever. But the other thing about it is the other reason you don't take those bigger engines. Somebody has a question here. I'm sorry, I can't find your name now, but it directly relates to that. And that is why does every manufacturer have a two liter engine, a two liter turbo? Why is that the magic? (laughs) It's tax laws, not in the U.S., but elsewhere in the world. That two liter engine is the highest you can get before there's extra taxes on the car and extra mm-hmm. expenses to buy it in certain markets. So that's why everybody has a two liter four and then they turbo it to get up to the power that they would have had in a six or a 12 or a whatever. Yeah, exactly. So that happens as well. Let's see right here. Anthony Zerg's got a question. Three kids, he says seven, nine and 11. They are doing what kids do. They're growing. And they're arguing. <laughs> so he needs to get a new family car for the next six years. He's considering a five seater with the biggest back seat he can get. For three growing kids, or should he go find something three row? And if he does, mm. then uh, the only girl might have a respite from her brothers because she might be able to have a different row to herself. Oh, Anthony, I think you need to go three row. I think because also you have the issue of any kid brings a friend. Now you <laughs> okay. now you're out of out of space. Sure. Okay? So I think you need to go three row. I'm also going to say this to you: if this is just family car duty. That's all it is. It's family car duty and hauling, and you're going to do road trips and that kind of stuff. I know you might be surprised to hear me say this, but also you need to look at minivans. You just do. They are the best for that job. <laughs> you're on a roll. You've recommended a Subaru Outback, and, and now you're talking minivans. I, I, look, I, I'm a, and I have a question I want to jump off to exactly <laughs> after this that's going to seem like I'm contradicting myself, but if your purpose, Anthony, is to have something to give the kids space that has longevity, it's hard to fight the minivan. There's some great seven-seat SUVs out there. I actually think what you should do is do three rows with captain's chairs. That way you can separate the boys, mm, okay. and your daughter can sit in the back. And everybody's happy with a little bit of space. Or you or you relegate the boys to the back and she says one of the captain's chairs. You could do that too. Okay? <laughs> but I think you go with the three row, I think that's worthwhile. But Sharif asks a related question. He says, Hang on. 
Because of our love of the GLS AMG 63, the big monster seven-seater that operates like a supercar, that got him thinking about when buying a family car, should we, the collective we, all of us, be shopping for something fun there too? I know this is going to sound like I'm contradicting my last answer, but in short this, Sharif, vehicles are expensive. The reason we say tool for the job is because we like you to have different things that can actually play to their strengths. The minivan's strength is just, I have space. Everybody has plug-ins for their phone and headphones and a screen. I have space. We're going to do a family road trip, which is not the Lotus Elise strengths, which is why I did that Spectrum of Sacrifice piece. They are quite different. <laughs> My favorite was the minivan door opening to reveal the to Lotus. To reveal the Elise. It's I enjoyed that of, as well. That was just so fun. Like, the car you're in, the car, <laughs> the you, car want. you want. Close. You should have had this, the door close <laughs> on your dream. Just, it just step. closes on the dream. Sharif, Sh- I think you need to find something that you as a driver like no matter what your area you're buying in, which is what this show is all about. Yeah. And that could be the minivan. But here's the thing. You could take your minivan and put better tires on it and improve it. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. go, the van is what I need, you as an enthusiast can still look at that and go, What do I as a driver need out of this, though? The thing I love about the GLS AMG 63 that you and I started talking about at length, Paul, is I kind of feel like crazy performance should go to that world. Mm -hmm. The really ridiculous performance that we cannot believe it's that fast, corners that well, consumes that much gas, makes that much noise, has that big an engine. Oh, my gosh, did you see the power number on this? Let's put that in the family seven-seater. It needs to go to trucks and SUVs. That's where it's gone. So that... We can have small, light, doesn't need to be powerful little sports cars that we can actually ring out mm-hmm. yeah. so that I can drive something as fast as it will go and still be in range of the speed limit and actually use the gears because it's got two or 300 horsepower. Yeah, but and what we're going to have to get used to is those big minivans with a lot of power and SUVs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. will mostly be able to keep up. If not, okay. continue to keep up as the sports car. Okay, but but I'll, that but I'll go. Will happen. I'll go here. Your Airbus that you recently rode in. Your your seven thirty seven you rode in a seven forty seven. They're fast. Yeah, sheer numbers. They are fast. Sure, sure. Go drive a Cessna. Go fly a Cessna. Go fly a P fifty one Mustang. Go fly a biplane. Go fly an acrobatic plane. Guess what? All of the jets. Gotcha, they're quicker. Yeah, they're all faster. Yeah. But it's the small, lightweight stuff, even in aircraft. That's the stuff that you connect with and go, I'm actually involved, and this is really crazy, and wow. Are you telling us we have to go barnstorming with sports cars now? Is that the whole point? Let's do that. <laughs> Eric McNeil asks us about car myths. Which ones do we dislike the most? It can be about the auto industry, a specific manufacturer, a specific model. I do have some, Eric. You've opened up a can of worms here. Uh-oh. I say... Well, I see this mostly on YouTube comments. Okay. And that is still, still, Hyundais and Kias are garbage. Korean cars suck. (laughs) They don't. German cars are money pits. We're doing a cheap sports car challenge. Mm -hmm. Currently disproving that. Mm -hmm. The cars are one-to-one right now. (laughs) They're both running. They're both strong. They start. They run. Mm -hmm. They've been running for a while. The mileage is piling on them. They're good. I have had three winter cars that have parked outside in the last few years. No, four. The Lancer, the Sabaru, 
the the FRS student park has had the Lancer, the Sabaru, the Mini. I'm going to go five. The Phaeton and the BMW Z4. Okay. All of them have parked outside yeah. in the worst of Park City winter. Yeah. And the one that starts the easiest every single time is the Z4. I mean, you did pour a bunch of stop leak into the Phaeton. I did. There's a lot of stop leak goo in that engine. Yes. But my point is that the Z4, the BMW money pit, springs to life. It does. It does. The, the, it doesn't matter how cold it is. It's like, let's go. Yep. Let's do it. I found the same thing with the SLK. It has a weird... I, I think the battery's starting to go, but that's just usage. That's sure. just cold and usage. But yeah, yeah. Once it starts, it just... It's been sitting a while. It just It's a slow to start kind of thing. But then once it's going... It's just ready to go. Warms up fast. We're mm. ready to go. Everything works on this car. Mm. I'm amazed by this. Yeah. I did have a reliable Maserati, too. But, you know. <laughs> reliable because you ignored those things which were going wrong. But, yes, I take your point. Eric, the other myths are sitting up high is safer. Disagree. Mm. Disagree. Mm. I will go toe-to-toe with anybody who wants to tell me sitting up high is safer. <laughs> you could enjoy that conversation with my wife on Friday. I, I, anyway, yeah. I just might. The one that is... No replacement for displacement. You can't say that one anymore. That's a good point. Yeah. That one is yeah. old news. I hate That's to say good I point. love V8s. I love V12s. Yes. Yes. Big engines are crazy fun. But a hot turbo six mm-hmm. is going to take you. Mm-hmm. They make more torque. <laughs> Even a four cylinder, a hot four cylinder. Mercedes AMG does this now. Yeah, you're right. You're so right. you cannot tell me there's no replacement for displacement anymore. Along those lines of speed, uh, David Elfring is asking on Facebook, will the speed and immediacy of sporty electric vehicles overwhelm drivers? Can we react fast enough to drive them in race conditions? First off, I think we are adaptable as beings and we can figure it out. The thing I'm worried about is the crazy amount of power under your right foot if you aren't actually involved. I'm not worried about those of us that want to drive them hard and our drivers that are dedicated to driving. I'm worried about the random people that are half paying attention to their driving. Yeah. That's the concerning part because they're going to get going faster than they expected, sooner than they expected. And this is the reason. Here's the bait and switch that's happening, though. This is the reason, Tesla leading the charge here, that this crazy powerful electric world is being married with autonomy Mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. So even though they're becoming more powerful, they're asking us to do less. I'm not saying this is the right idea, but I think it's fascinating that both of those are starting to happen simultaneously. You have more power faster and we're taking it away from you. Tesla leading the charge. Really? So, that, sorry, that was an actual really? accidental, but I think it'll be really interesting to see in general. We've, we've hit on it a couple times already, a sporty electric vehicle. Yeah. The we've driven the Tesla Roadster, which is a stretched out Elise. It's so heavy and not good to drive. It's it's it's, it's so not good it's to drive. It's surprisingly fast. It's fast. It's incredibly fast. It's not good to but drive. But it feels like my Elise dragging something behind it. Something large. Yes, behind it's it. got an anchor. It's, it's not it's good like to it's, drive. Using my Elise as a tow vehicle. It <laughs> yes. just feels really weird. Cars are made to be driven. And we can't imagine a future without driving cars we really love. Luckily, the folks at Haggerty feel the same way. That's why they support this show. One of the many things Haggerty offers for people who love cars is insurance for their enthusiast vehicles. But that also includes classic cars, trucks, motorcycles, collectibles, and even boats. 
They also protect raced vehicles off the track and can even ensure vehicles on the track for HPDE events and track days. In fact, we use Haggerty Track Day Insurance every time we drive the Cayman and Elise on our local track, and it adds huge peace of mind. Learn more about Haggerty and quote insurance at haggerty.com slash everydaydriver. I've got a fighting words question here. I'm going to get emails. I know I am. Oh, yeah? Track Daily Crush Off-Road Four-Wheel Drive Edition. Do you see this? Oh. Derek wrote in. He said, Jeep Wrangler, Ford Raptor, Toyota FJ. Yes, I did see that, yeah. Track Daily Crush Off-Road Edition. I would daily the Raptor, I would off-road the Wrangler, and I would crush the FJ. And the reason is because, and I'm going to get FJ letters. I know. There's, there's, <laughs> the FJ there. community is they're out gonna, for they're you. Gonna write, they're going to write in. The reason is this. The Toyota FJ, we, when we were in Moab with a Wrangler, we couldn't believe how many FJs we saw that looked stock, that were just running everything everybody else was running. It's not that they aren't capable. It's that they have terrible visibility. Mm-hmm. I don't want to daily that car, mm-hmm. and I'd rather have the Wrangler off-road. The back three-quarter from the B-pillars back in the FJ is genuinely very bad visibility-wise, whereas the Raptor is this big thing with a bubble on the top, and you can see everybody. <laughs> Piece of Let Bugs is asking which car brand we wished we liked more. Hmm. Fiat's up there, just generally speaking. I like the uh, Bart, but just generally as a brand, I, I kind of wish I liked them more. Alpha, no, I already like them a lot. I like Alpha a lot. What else? Lincoln has come back in a big way. Mm-hmm. They're just going all SUVs. They're going, you know, really big. Uh, you know what? I wish I liked Range Rovers more. Hmm. Okay. We right. rarely, if ever, recommend Range Rovers of any style, shape, mm-hmm. year, model, color, anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. We don't really talk about Range Rovers much. Mm-hmm. I guess I wished I liked them more. But look, they've got great design. Mm-hmm. They're very clean, very beautiful. The mm-hmm. interiors are very minimalist. They should totally appeal to me. I just have this <laughs> yucky taste in my mouth when I think of Range Rover. Okay. This is All me right. getting angry letters from the Range Rover community Yeah, yeah, yeah. The People are writing. It's fine, yeah. I, after I read that the 06 Discovery Sport had extra weight added to it to negate some high-speed road frequencies, 42-pound blocks of weight hanging behind the rear wheels. Hmm. After I read about this... That's a solve. I didn't like them anymore. (laughs) Why do this? They're cool-looking. They're apparently the world's most capable off-road vehicle that nobody ever tests. That is the marketing material, yes. And now they're just... You know, we test them on the ring. Why Why do Range Rovers need to be hooned around the ring? This is an excellent question. I yes. don't get it. I, I will agree with you on that. The, yeah. the interiors are gorgeous. They seem really well built upon initial inspection. And I see the, the Defender 110 driving around. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of them here in Park City. Yeah, yeah. And I think, cool. Yeah, no, there's a bunch I would buy before that. I would just buy yeah. almost every pickup before that thing. Interesting. And I'm okay. not into pickups. Okay. 8% of me is. But, 8% of you is, yeah. You know, I, I'm just like, I, what? I don't care. <laughs> Who is that for? <laughs> Apparently, the people driving around in them. Apparently, those people. It's Ranger. While we're making people angry, I'll just continue. Forrest Jenkins says, do you ever see a car on the road and it just makes you angry? What's a car that when you see it, it makes you angry? Oh, I know this one. He says, for instance, when I see certain cars and he lists off the cars for him i'll tell you i thought about there's a few but i thought about there's one that every time i see it i just it's not that i'm angry but i'm just instantly struck by why oh no i know it's anger it's, no why it's, i don't know if you're going to talk talk about i one think i know but here's the one every time i see one i just i don't understand why you picked that car i'm going to get an angry letter it's the infinity qx80 the narwhale oh the narwhale 
because not the one I was thinking of. were you thinking Outback? No, I was thinking of the Fiat Five Hundred. Uh, that that long, oh the squishy. X. No, the, no. The what's the 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 five hundred X? The five hundred X. Yes, that's the small one on the Renegade chassis. What's the big oh, bloated that comes in a flesh color? Yes, separate thing. No, no. The QX eighty. The problem with the QX eighty because the Outback, for example, we I make fun of the fact that my son and I count them and we see dozens everywhere we go. But <laughs> he told me yesterday, by the way, he was mm-hmm. like, "Let me tell you the latest body count." Yeah, it's like, you're still counting <laughs> but, these things. But look at our test drive on the Outback. We actually go through why we know it sells. And how it lives in a weird vortex of the market by itself. So I at least, I, I, I wish they weren't so ubiquitous, but I at least understand it. The QX80 I don't get. It's not inexpensive. If you're buying a luxury SUV, I do not understand why your money went to infinity. The amount that that thing costs, you have overlooked <laughs> so many others that are more attractive, better built, better to drive. Mm-hmm. That every time I see a QX80, I am baffled by why. I'm pulling at my collar now. I know. I'm getting. I'm getting letters. I'm getting letters. Although I admit, I did go off on our 2020 QX80 review, mm-hmm. encouraging Infinity to throw them all out, stop making everything, introduce some new cool thing for the future. They've teased us forever. Mm. They used to have an F1 partnership. They've got tech. They've got a big company behind mm-hmm. them. What is keeping them from introducing coolness? Nissan is replacing their entire lineup in like the next five minutes, so maybe Aye. something's coming. Barmalot is asking if there are any circumstances where we think it's worth buying a car on Bring a Trailer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sold. Okay. I'm not sold. I think the Bring a Trailer effect has infected every auction Mm, okay regardless of the car because now you look at something you would have never ever considered and you think Mm. oh i guess those are starting to go back up now (laughs) it has it has warped morphed our perception of what we actually think is reality that is true yeah i kind of i'm kind of going with no okay because now Bring a Trailer has turned into the spotless, perfect example of the obscure thing you never thought would be worth money. Yes. It has become that place for of random obscurity. Like, oh, an old Panzer. Went, huh. I didn't know those were going back up. Oh, that's a lot of money. I think it's now voyeurism for price. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Can right. you believe what this costs? Now look at what yeah. some idiot paid for that. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't well, me. And then, they, and then somebody buys a car you can't believe for a quarter million dollars and you know it will never get driven again. That's what makes me sad. I'm going with no. I, I'm going to say there is a reason. There is a reason. I, I think, look, Bring a Trailer has brought amazing cars out of obscurity. And it, and it has become literally in, in a weird a way. Seriously, in a weird huh. way. I, I, look, you and I feel a little differently about this, but we've had people ask us about our thoughts on bringing trailers. So I'm going to unpack it a bit. It's brought amazing cars out of obscurity. It has spawned other things. Like, let's be honest, cars and bids would not exist without Bring a Trailer existing. Fair because enough. Bring a Trailer has gone up market, so cars and bids from Doug Demuro has slipped in underneath it. Yeah. So so you have this world. Stuff has come out of garages and been sold that you can't even believe that car exists. And we get to see it, it's become, this is going to sound weird, it's become the fire that all of the enthusiasts kind of stand around and go, ooh. <laughs> it's the 
It's the community campfire. It is. It's the community campfire. We're warming our we're, hands we're all over looking somebody at else's going, cash burning wow, up. Wow, wow. The, the difficulty, though, is it has also brought out, I think, the worst of YouTube commenter-style comments, but now it's the know-it-alls on Bring a Trailer telling you, well, that fourth rivet down shouldn't be a, It's a car. Buy it. Drive it. But from a buyer perspective, I think it makes it very difficult to sell one on there. But from a buyer perspective, I think if you're buying something that isn't the most pristine example of whatever, Mm -hmm. it's just a solid example. And there will be others. There's been three or four others this year already, and there'll be three or four behind it. You can find a nice one, well-loved, well-documented on Bring a Trailer. It's the random unicorns. I think it creates a world that is nowhere connected to reality. And I think for somebody that's selling a, selling a car that they just drove and loved, like I would never sell my Lotus on Bring a Trailer. I'll get destroyed because I have a ton of miles. It's got a ton of wear. It's been used and loved. People will point out every rock chip yes, on that thing. Yes, of which there are many because I drove it. Okay? Yeah. So I think if, you have, if you're that person selling that car, it's hard. I think if you have a mid-level, nice version of something that you can find, you're going to find a great one there. Look – Porsche 356 Speedster replicas are about the same on Bring a Trailer as they are used anywhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're about thirty, forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand is a decent one. Okay, we've seen replicas, vintage Speedster replicas, go for about forty on Bring a Trailer. So, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. But I ask you at this point, what is the point? What's the point of using Bring a Trailer if they're the same price? Oh, interesting. Okay, all right. Conversely, the nice ones, the unicorns that you're talking about, okay, yeah, auctions. I'm all for auctions and mm-hmm. proliferating and preserving cars. And the problem is people don't drive them because those nice ones are like the Acura NSX with nine miles. And that'll go into somebody's collection and sit. Sit. It's the sitting that frustrates <sighs> me the most, yeah. But I like that these cars are preserved, but it's the Porsche 911 effect has now happened to everything. And it's brand trailer's fault. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting point that you talk about the air cold nine eleven explosion that happened yes. in the two thousands has now proliferated everybody. I take that. Name the thing. I take that. That's interesting. And, but I think it's oh. because it is the enthusiast campfire we're all standing around. We're, I'm telling you, we're warming our hands on other people's cash burning up. <laughs> YG Auto Detailing asks, why do most cars have chrome trim around the windows? Hmm. <laughs> You're trying to explain why? Bright work sells. Good luck. Bright work sells. Highlights shiny. We're like raccoons. We are. We won't let go of the piece of aluminum foil. We really are raccoons. To our yes. detriment. Mm-hmm. We eat too much. <laughs> bright work, the ding, ding, the, that bright work sells. Especially in a showroom when there's a piece of, you know, nice, shiny, whatever. I like that people are requiring that less. But it was always associated with some sort of touch of luxury, some sort of higher end mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when mid level to low end cars started doing it a lot, well, <laughs> that sells cars. Mm. There's a lot of what will sell? How do we sell this thing mm. involved in the car design, you know, trim package, that kind of thing? Once they get past the design, once everything is done, we would prefer, you know, like a brush nickel. And a subtle <laughs> hairline stainless on the interior. Okay, and some yeah. carbon fiber yeah, yeah. tasty bits over here. And <laughs> some nice leather and Alcantara and you know, all that kind of stuff. I take your I get that. But a dull titanium isn't going to sell as well. 
unless you know what it is. Mm, interesting. Okay. It's a lighter, more expensive, more durable material. Interesting. Yeah. You've gotten me into the honesty of materials too. And Uh-oh. there's a question I want to continue from Peter G asking about wood in the interior. Peter says, why do car makers still use wood trim or faux wood trim in 99.9% of cars? Peter thinks it's ugly, out of place in modern cars, looking like veneer or even worse, plastic. Mm. In most cases, he tries to hold on to the past, but he's yet to see a car where wood trim looks good. And even if it does look good, looks like it belongs in the car. Volvo probably does it best with their ivory wood, but other than that, he doesn't see the reason for it. Most people buying cars today never owned a car with real wood in it. Classic cars are another story. I think what you're talking really about, Peter, is the thickness of wood. Mm. With modern crash standards... You have to have veneer. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a thick plank, even an eighth of an inch thick. Imagine the splinters in an accident. Imagine Mm. that breaking and some manufacturer being sued because your big piece of wood that looks really nice Mm -hmm. splintered into a thousand pieces. You get the idea. Yikes. Even Rolls-Royce and Bentley on their IPs, those are still... Thin bird's eye veneer, very, very thin. It's going to crumble before it does anything else Mm -hmm. in an accident. It is the perception since the very beginning. Materials matter. And just like wood in your home, it warms things up. It's less clinical. It's less antiseptic. Mm. It's a nice, warm, Mm. inviting, cozy place to be. We spend so much time in our cars. And I will agree with you on Volvo, but Mercedes is really doing well with their wood. Mm. It's nice. But it's thin, and it has to be thin. It has to be glued to a piece of plastic yeah, so yeah. it won't shatter, so you don't have shards or you know, big slivers of wood. <laughs> it seems like, why don't we have real wood? Let's make it like a piano in there. We can't. <laughs> you shattered the bath. It's we coming can't. at you. It's because of all those crash standards. That's why we've got to go to that thin veneer. And again, it'll crumble. But I still think wood has its place. It's the, the high-end, the ultra, mm. but Mercedes AMG is the ones doing it right. Really right. All right. Tacked out says, do I have a problem? I enjoy my winter beater, a 500 Abart, a Fiat 500 Abart, more than my Focus RS. Why is he like his Fiat more? I don't think you have a problem. A couple of things going on. First off, the Fiat. Watch our original review. I described it as owning a baby dragon, which is both good and bad. Mm -hmm. This has some of the most personality of any modern car. So the Fiat 500 has a ton of personality, and I think... It has more personality naturally than the Focus RS does. It also rides better. It, it, the Focus RS has got a difficult ride. But here's my other thought on why I think you like kind. The, the 500 Abart better. You can use everything it can do all the time. And the mm. Focus RS, you can't. Mm, okay. It's got more capability than your typical commute is ever going to require. The 500 Abarth, you can probably find a moment where you're just like, I am asking everything this car will give. And that is genuinely fun. It, I know it's a slow car, fast cliche, but truthfully, if you drive a hugely capable supercar slowly through traffic, it loses a lot of its luster. If you drive a, I can't believe this thing can go this fast, marginal performance car down a back road, you will cackle because you're actually wringing it all out. I think that's why the Abarth's speaking to you more. Mm. Adam M. asks, what will be the next piece of automotive design to vanish completely? Uses the example of pop-up headlights. Pop-up headlights vanished. Mm -hmm. But that was because of tech. And you want that low silhouette, that low profile with giant clunky clunky square or round headlights Mm. back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
you did the pop-up headlight thing. So that means it was all based around tech. So what piece of you mm, know tech okay. in the car is going to change so that this reflection of that tech will disappear? It's grills. Oh, okay. It's the grill on a car mm, okay. that is the right. giant air intake to cool the car as internal combustion engines make a lot of heat. And as electric mm. cars pro- proliferate, I think grills will disappear completely. Interesting. Okay. I've got a uh, an L.A. <clears throat> question. Kojo88 asked this question on Instagram. Do you see this? An L.A. professional with a midlife crisis would typically <laughs> buy a 911. <laughs> You're I right. I love that you're tackling this, by you're the way. You're right. This is the thing that happens. This is the progression of Los Angeles, especially the Los Angeles film studio culture. I'm barely <laughs> in Los Angeles. I got here last week. The film I'm, studio culture. I'm driving the Honda Civic oh. that barely runs that I've had since college that barely runs, but I'm here. <laughs> I'm an intern. I'm the PA, third PA on the left. I bought the wrong butter this morning. This is who I am, all right? Well, at least that. But I'm thing. here. Yeah. They go BMW, probably a three series, okay. generally in silver or black. <laughs> That's that's where that goes. Of course, now, though, you can go Model 3. You're in the similar category. Of course, that's, yes. You can go there, too, or yes. Model Y. But the next step up, you either go Range Rover or 911, depending upon who you are, also in silver or black. He's saying, if I want to branch out and not be that guy that bought the 911, what do I get? You have to ask yourself how much you don't want to be like everybody else. <laughs> okay, because look at me and my ridiculous hair choices. I don't want to be like everybody else. Okay, so I would buy something ridiculous. But this is my assumption: if you're actually looking at buying a 911 in Los Angeles, a new one, you're probably shopping at about 150 grand. Easy. There's a lot of choices there. I'm going to give you a few that I think are all more interesting than the 911. Now, let me be clear: the 911 drives brilliantly. The 911 is great to commute in. It's great to drive fast. It's great to sit on the studio lot and just be there. It looks very nice sitting still. It's perfectly good to get Starbucks. There's genuinely nothing wrong with the 911. Mm-hmm. It's just bought for status. But here's what's odd. Yeah. It's yeah. bought for status. I, I realize plenty of people buy a 911 and drive it well. I'm saying the L.A. thing is you bought it for status. But it's that weird LA studio thing. <laughs> I'd like you to bring me a movie that is like something I've already seen slightly tweaked. The nine 11 is the safe choice that people are going to buy because, Oh, you got a sports car, but you got the same sports car that is approved by culture to get as a mm. sports car. Mm. Okay. Okay. I'm probably going to get more angry letters. This is what the whole podcast is about. <laughs> Here's other options for you. Get yourself a Mercedes AMG GT. Oh, get yourself yeah. an Audi R eight an Aston Martin Vantage, or an Acura NSX. Stand out from the crowd. Get one of those in a color. Pull onto the studio lot with pride. (laughs) I drive this car. You may have a 911 in front of you and a Range Rover behind you. Be the guy in the orange NSX. Be the guy in the green Mercedes GT. Yeah. Come on. Although, doesn't Michael Bay drive crazy stuff? He's kind of into cars. He he was known for his... uh, Ferrari 550 for a while, and then he put it in a movie and many other things. He's doing about right. everything. That's right. But I'm, but I'm saying the studio executive culture, you're limited to a certain number of cars. ADS Diecast Art is asking if we've noticed the build quality differences from the newest generation vehicles to the prior. Hmm. The example is the Mark VI Jetta TDI. He specifically mentioned the TDI's massively better build quality than the new generation. It seems like we're slowly, we, the collective we, are mm-hmm. losing quality for technology 
And it's upsetting because he really enjoys the Volkswagen Jetta, but there is no way to buy a new one with its horrible build quality. I'm wondering what specific thing you're you're looking at. And I come back to the door slam that tells you a lot about a car. But that <laughs> It's can... a door is what it tells you. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, it tells you everything else. If they don't care about how the door thunks closed, what else don't they care about? Don't ask that question me. about the Elise. It's <laughs> got a rattle can close. Moving on. Well, I'll give Lotus a hall pass. They're in a separate category. It's trim, I think. It's the use of plastics. But ultimately, it's about buying. It comes back to selling cars. We've got to sell cars. We've got to keep the price down. And so the designers, engineers might lose a battle. If they want some other new cool feature about the car to improve it to do better at driving to whatever it does they're going to lose the battle with the business team saying well then okay you got to keep our costs down over here with the use of these plastics and we're going to use some automotive adhesives here that's going to be a little bit less expensive way of of assembling the car and we're going to assemble it in seven sub assemblies and glue it all together on the assembly line and we've never done that before but we're going to do it (laughs) okay hi tesla yes it actually happened. Anyway, I uh, I think it comes down to trying a new art, a new technique on your final art piece. Mm, it's bound to go well. It's that kind of thinking. Many times, car manufacturers will use that, even though we've you know proven it out, and mm-hmm. we're we're always trying to save money because torturing a material into the thing you want it to be is what's the most expensive part of the car mm-hmm. that and putting it together and paying the people to put it all together. So wherever you can take money out of that process will save money on the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I definitely understand that's always being looked at constantly. And we as consumers feel that it's reflected in the price and then, you know, we're, we're saddled with that essentially. So the thing that we liked about the other one, well, some, you know, analyst got a hold of that piece of plastic and that trim and said, let's use few fewer fasteners. Let's cut the cost mm. without understanding or caring about what that does mm. to our perception mm. of the vehicle. Kevin asked on Twitter, what are cars worth buying a poor example of so you can say you had the experience of owning one? Not a forever car, just bought it for the summer and enjoyed it. Well, Kevin, oh. keep in mind, we bought ridiculously cheap sports cars and ridiculously cheap sedans yeah. just to drive them for a year. I encourage this in any market segment that intrigues you. Just be surprised by what you can find. Okay? But what I would say to you is one I can think of right away is the Honda S2000. Buy an early S2000 that's not that expensive, doesn't have to be in perfect shape. It's going to still be reliable, and you have a moment-in-time car experience for not a whole lot of money, and you'll probably sell it for about what you bought it for. Mm, Okay, fair enough. Ronald Harrison on Twitter is asking about the styling of the Cadillac CTS-V. Before it was, eh, but now it's morphed into the hubba hubba with the CTS-5 Blackwing. <laughs> okay. So what happened? Is there any particular styling detail that changed this ugly duckling into a swan? There's four. Fender flares. Okay. Fender flares. <laughs> okay. Fender. Just that swollen bit of sure. muscle. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And going from the, the crisp edge and we're defining the surface and really... Sticking true to that, which is important for the brand for styling, going to let's let it all hang. Let's 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 go a little bit wider mm, stance. Mm, okay. Let's flare. Let's add some 
some mass to mm-hmm. that surface. Mm-hmm. You want it swollen. You bring that out a few millimeters. You want to add the fender flares. That's where it starts to feel muscly and interesting. More underneath. Okay. When designers start to do that, on, well, when they're allowed to start doing that, sure. management. Sure. That's when we get things like the Blackwing. Ryan's asking a question that I think is much broader and much more universal than specifically the way he's asking it. He has a 16-year-old Porsche Boxster. Love it. And he's saying, "Do I are my expectations too high? Am I expecting it to be too much of a daily driver and too much of a do-it-all?" He's he goes between loving and hating it, and he admits that part of that is because he bought an old Boxster for cheap, and there was a lot of stuff he had to do to get it right. Mm-hmm. But now he just can't shake the feeling that he needs a couple of cars because driving the Boxster daily, he keeps finding things it's not good at. Here's the point I want to make. This is the reason that we talk about tool for the job. Let your cars, if you have multiple cars, if you as a family have the family hauler and the fun car, that's fine. They don't need to all be family haulers. Let the family hauler, if it needs to be, be a minivan because nothing hauls like a minivan. Yeah. yeah. There's more fun if you can actually allow yourself more fun, but play cars' strengths. There's nothing wrong with that. But the, the flip side of that is if you have one car, you're going to wind up in situations where you're just like, this is really not good for this. The minivan on the back road the small sports car at Home Depot. You're going to be thinking that it, it's going to kind of be funny. You're, you're trying to hustle your minivan down a back road and going, this is terrifying. This is, <laughs> it's become funny because it is so terrifying. Okay. Or you're at Home Depot like I am with something like a Lotus going, better buy something small. Can't, can't buy that. nuts and bolts today. Exactly right. I got to go to the aisle that I can put it in my pocket because otherwise exactly. we're not getting home. So a can of bug spray. You, you kind of have hey. to embrace that. I, I don't think it... It doesn't take anything away from your single car ownership as long as you do with that car the things it's good at regularly. Mm. If you have mm. a really compromised sports car like in a lease and all you do is commute in it, you probably need something else because you, you're never doing the thing that's going to make you go, oh, this is great doing this. <laughs> so you have to play, give the car the opportunity right. to do what it's great at. So maybe you aren't ever doing that, Ryan. I don't know. Maybe you're never getting that opportunity. But then that hopefully will allow you, just like with people, we find their flaws, but we love their strengths. Mm-hmm. So hopefully if you are embracing the things that it, your boxer does really well, then you'll have moments when it's just like, this boxer's not great for this, but it's the car I have. <laughs> Archer Millworks loves the Chevy SSR, he says, which makes his wife think he's smoking something. <laughs> okay. Is there a car that one of you loves that makes the other think you're huffing glue? Mm-hmm. It's the Lancer Rally Art that Todd loves that I think he's just, hey, I think you're high for loving that car. Well, the, the Isuzu uh, Via Cross that is too. a level beyond that. that you're absolutely I right. I like Thank that. You. And you're like, I, I, you almost want to disown me as Gigantic a friend. Gigantic yeah. question mark over the top of my head with that one. Yep. Why on earth do you yep. like that thing? I... Hmm. I, <laughs> you, you, get so, you get like what wordless you and baffled every time. I'm yeah. baffled by that thing. Why does it exist? <laughs> and why do I think it's cool? Why do people like it? Yeah, I know. I know it happened. Damn it, Patton says, uh, do we ever think used car prices are going to level out? We actually have gotten some comments on our uh, cheap sports cars piece because all the cheap sports cars we had in that piece, you can't get any of them now for those <laughs> no. prices. That's amazing. In general, amazing. the used sports car prices, well, used car prices in general have spiked yes. across yes. the board. Sports cars even worse. I, I think this only has to settle out. It may be a couple years from now, but I think they're going to take a turn and start coming back down. The really unique stuff, the moment in time stuff, 
it's probably only going up. Yeah, because bring a trailer and get a hold of but, it. But the general stuff, like, and, and, I, and I'm referring to sports cars, sports cars that they made a lot of, think about Miatas and Mustangs and 86s and this kind of stuff, that's going to take back a turn in used car prices once, I don't know, new stuff's being built. Mm. Tom Gumby says, what's the worst rental car an airport has ever given you? Oh, no. A Mitsubishi Lancer. Base, 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 the base. The base one? Yikes, that oh. is terrifying. Oh, was it bad? The seats were bad, the styling was bad, the color was bad. <laughs> it didn't go well. Thing. Along those lines, the Hudsonian says, what's the best car for a masochist? I think it might be the Morgan three-wheeler. Oh. I think it might be the Morgan three-wheeler. Anything with Lucas Electrics? Well, that's a whole separate problem. Yeah, get Come home before on. dark. That's, that's, that's up there. That's, that's a good one as good. well. That's pretty good. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. Really, we mean it. We love doing this. these one-offs. They're so much fun. There's a whole other podcast worth of questions here. I've got My sheet is still half full of questions. <laughs> for sure. It's amazing. Thank you guys for being with us. It's fantastic. We're definitely looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>